This past week in our house was kind of a special week. Um, this past Thursday, uh, my wife Katie and I, we celebrated 21 years of marriage, and, um, which was super exciting, yeah. So it, if you bump into her today, you know, just say, man, way to go for sticking with Josh all those years. And, but it was, it, one of the things that we do in our family, um, you know, like most couples, we go out, and, you know, but on our anniversary, we do what we call our family birthday dinner. And so we sit down, our, our kids hate it, and, but what we do is, you know, we just talk through our story, we talk through how we met, and we, we pull out pictures, you know, and our, and our photo albums, and so like, for all you like Gen Zers, a photo album is this book, and there's photos in it that you took that you had to wait for weeks to get back from your wedding photographer, and you got it on a CD, you know, and so... But, so we sit there, and we're, and we're just going through all of these memories, and, um, and Katie's a photographer, and so she's pulling out all of these pictures throughout, over the years, and, and we're looking at just all these different memories, and we're laughing together, and our kids are like, you really look like that? Like, you had a bowl haircut in high school, Dad? Like, I mean, and it was just this incredible, fun time of just looking at memories. And the funny thing is, is that I was struck as I was looking at the photos, at the things I didn't remember. Like, I, I looked at photos and I thought, I don't remember being there. <laughs> like, you know, I don't, and, and you look at photos and you're like, who's that other person? Like, who's the other, who are the other people in this photo? And it's interesting to me how when you look back at different moments, what you remember and what you don't remember. And the people that you remember or the people that you don't remember, the situations that you think, because most of the time, especially now as we think about like, social media and, and just photos on Instagram and stuff, we just think that a lot of our lives are just these highlight reels of big moments. Like these big vacation trips or, you know, the wedding of a lifetime, graduations. And, and our lives are those moments, but our lives are also more defined by the ones we don't really remember. Or the ones that kind of pop up, the ones that we wish we could redo. I remember we were looking at the different photos and I was taken back to some of the hard moments that those photos represented. I was taken back to remembering, oh, that was the year that that happened. That was the year that that person passed away. That was the year when we moved across the country. That was the year when that person walked out of our lives. And, and you're reminded of these moments. And, and what happens too then is you're also reminded of things you didn't do. And what's interesting is past year I was reading a book about regret, and one of the things that they talked about was that the things that we regret, the things we spend the majority of our time thinking about are all of the missed opportunities that we had. Like in the short term, they said, we regret the things that we did. So right now, you maybe regret something you said this past week, you regret something that you had a conversation or maybe an action that you did, but they said the longer and the further away that we get from things, the more we regret our missed opportunities, the inactions. And as I was paging through these photos, I looked at, oh, I missed that moment with our kids. 
I miss that situation because of this thing at work. I miss that. And we start to regret the things we didn't do. And we start to get prisoners of that moment. And what happens is, is we can't get those back. I can't get that moment back with, with our daughter when she was two. I can't get that moment back. I, I can't get that moment back when I wish I would have said that or shown up at that thing. I can't get that back. Just like you can't get back what you wish your childhood would have been like. You can't get back what you wished your marriage would have been like. You can't get back that moment. You can't get back, I was just telling somebody in the lobby, you can't get back being a 26-year-old who can live on four hours of sleep. I can't get that back. No matter how much I would love that, I can't get that back. You think back to when you didn't live with aches and pains, you can't get that back. And what happens then, here's what happens is that if we're not careful, we actually miss the life in front of us and we actually miss what God has for us. And we beat ourselves up about things we didn't do, we beat ourselves up about things that we missed. Now, and here's, here's the thing, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, your inactions and missed opportunities, we also connect those to God in different ways. We wonder why God allowed that to happen. Why did God allow that relationship to fall apart? Why didn't God step in and stop when that betrayal happened? Why didn't God step in and stop that painful moment that we have? And what happens then eventually is we start to get to this question, which is what this whole series is about. Is God for me? Is God for me? See, we have this idea that God is somehow against us, that God is somehow out to get us, I love Mark Batterson, he's a pastor in D.C., and one of, one of the things that he says is the most insidious lie we can believe is that God is somehow against us. The most insidious lie that we could believe is that God is somehow against us. But if I were to ask you today, do you believe that God is in your corner? Some of you go, well, yeah, absolutely. And then others of you go, Maybe. Well, what does that depend on? Well, you know, it depends if I'm a really great person, if I feel really great about myself in that moment, if like everything is going well, then obviously if everything's going well, God has to be for me. But what if everything's not going well? Maybe you've laid in bed at night and wonder, man, God, are you against me? Like, am I paying for something that I did in college? Like, is this just coming back around? Is that how this works? And no, it's not how it works. But in the whole theme for this series is we're going to spend the next six weeks looking through Romans chapter 8. Now, about 500 years ago, Martin Luther said that Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in the entire Bible. I don't know what was number two. He didn't say, but he just said Romans 8 was the greatest chapter. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that Romans chapter 8 has so many different promises. So many people's favorite verses of the Bible are in Romans 8. But the theme of Romans 8 is Romans 8.31 that says, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's the theme of this series. If God is for us, who can be against us? But right now, the reality is, is that some of you feel like somebody is against you. And some of you feel like God might be against you. Some of you feel like maybe your spouse is against you. You feel like your child's against you. Your boss is against you. You wonder, man, how am I even going to get through this? And Paul says, if God is for you, who can be against you? See, the lie that a lot of us believe is that God is against us. The lie that a lot of us believe is that the thing you're facing right now is actually more powerful than God. The lie that a lot of us believe is that it is impossible for me to get through this moment. 
But Paul says, no, no, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, here's what's great about Romans chapter eight and why it's, I, I love the book of Romans, but especially Romans eight, is the person who wrote it. Now, if you don't know, the apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans. Now, Paul wrote roughly about two thirds of the New Testament. Now, here's one of the things I love about Paul, is that Paul um, grew up as a, a Jewish zealot. I mean, he was just like the straight A, you know, top of the class, you know, and as he grew older, he became a zealot to destroy the church of Jesus, okay? He was given orders to imprison all of the, the Christians, everybody he found within the Roman Empire, to imprison them, to kill them. And in Acts chapter eight and nine, Paul has this dramatic moment where his life is completely changed and he meets Jesus. Now, some of you, your story is this dramatic moment where like God just bowled you over like and just changed everything about you. Like I've met countless people who said, man, like Josh, I was one day this addict and then all of a sudden I became a Christian. I haven't touched anything since then. And some of you go, man, like I, I don't have that story. Like I don't have this story where like God just like came down and like just knocked me over like Paul where I couldn't, you know, see and everything just changed like in that instant. Some of you are like, it's kind of been a little bit more gradual. And that's great because God saves us and changes us in different ways. But Paul in Romans 8 shows us the wrestling that a follower of Jesus has. And this is what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, anytime you read in the Bible where it says, therefore, you always have to look what came before it. Okay, Romans chapter seven is this internal battle that Paul has that everybody has. And what fills Romans chapter seven is this feeling of how do I deal with my shame? How do I deal with my guilt? How do I deal with my regret? What do I do, he says, what do I do when I want to do this, but I do this? Like you've had this feeling, maybe you did it last night, where, where like you're sitting there and you're eating, you know, that second like and third and fourth scoop of ice cream and you're like, I didn't want this. Why am I eating this? And Paul says, what do you do when you want to do this, but you do this? And you've done this too, where like you yelled at your kids and you thought, why, I don't wanna be the angry parent. I don't wanna be the angry parent anymore. Why do I do this? Why do I respond like this? And Paul says, what do you do when you want to do this, but you do this? And in that moment, here's what, here's what so many of us do. We doubt that we're rescued by God. We doubt that we're forgiven. We doubt that we could ever be free from that thing. We think this has gotta be, you know, I'm, I'm just, this is just gonna be my play. I'm always going to look at this. I'm always going to do this. I'm always going to feel this. So Paul says, what do you do? And he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when he says this, Romans 8, 1 is the summary of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The follower of Jesus, there is no condemnation. See, most of our problems in life is the failure to believe that this verse is true. Because most of us believe that we are what we have done. Instead, Paul says, in Christ, you are not defined by what you've done. You, have, you are not defined by what has been done to you. You are defined by what Jesus has done right. That's what you're defined by. He says, now, this is the present reality. This moment. There, there's not, the moment that you become a follower of Jesus, you don't just get a little bit of forgiveness. He says, no, the moment that you are changed by Christ, you get all 
of the power of God in you to fight all of the sin and death in you. You get all of the forgiveness of God. It's not a gradual thing. It's not one day where like you meet somebody and they're like, oh man, I've been following Jesus for 10 years longer than you're like, oh man, you have more forgiveness than me. Listen, everybody in here, if you're a follower of Jesus, there is not another person in this room that has more of the power of God in their life than you do. There's not more forgiveness that somebody else has, has experienced. God isn't just going, man, like just wait. There's so much more. No, Paul says now, the present moment is assured and yet so many of us lay in bed at night and we think, man, am I, am I changed by God? Is God in my corner? Does God want me? Does God love me? Does God care about me? I remember when I was in college and this was, um, I, I grew up, in a tradition where the speaker would always end every sermon this way, you know, by saying, hey, every, we're all gonna bow our heads, every eye closed, every head bowed. And he would always say, you know, if you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? So I remember in college, I was so afraid of that question. Okay, every night I would lay down in bed and I'd be like, okay, Jesus, so like just in case I die tonight, please forgive me of all my sins. I've literally prayed the sinner's prayer that they talk about like every single night in college. And like sometimes like four times a night, depending on like how bad I felt about something. And Paul says, no, no, no. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's no condemnation. Now. Yeah, but Paul, like when's now? Whenever now. The present moment. Which present moment? All the present moments. Yeah, but what about when I get to the one tomorrow? It's still now. That'll be now. When you get to that moment, that'll be now. There's no condemnation. See, and condemnation is this feeling of guilt over the sins that we know about. And it's punishing ourselves. Right, and here's the thing that you have to understand if you're a follower of Jesus. You, there's a good chance that you are punishing yourself for sins that God's already forgiven you for. And, and here's why I think this verse is so powerful. Because one of the things we're told in the book of Acts is there's this picture, there's this story in Acts chapter seven where Paul is standing and watching followers of Jesus be stoned to death. Okay? And, and, and not the, like, the stone that you were thinking right now, like a different stone to death. And I want you to imagine this for a moment, okay? So here's Paul, as I picture this. He's standing there executing people. And I wonder if later in his life, as he is in the darkness of a ship, as he is in the darkness of the night where he's just laying there, if he hears their screams. I wonder if he sees the faces of the people that he killed. See, in the same way that you and I lay in bed, and do you know what you do? You and I do this. We go back to moments and places, and we vividly remember them. And we go, I don't know if God forgave me. And Paul says, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. There's nothing that God holds against you. See, and we have to like, understand the difference between the voice of condemnation and the voice of God. The voice of condemnation, many times in our heads, we think is the voice of God when it's not. Okay, the voice of condemnation rushes you, it pushes you, it makes you do things you don't want to do. 
The voice of condemnation discourages you. It confuses you. It frightens you. It makes you obsessed over things that you can't change, things that are in the past. But the voice of God is different. The voice of God stills us. The voice of God quiets us. The voice of God leads us and reassures us. It comforts us. Here's what the voice of God does. The voice of God calms us like a parent calms a child after a nightmare. That's what the voice of God does. Because like I said, we punish ourselves for things God's already forgiven you for. You make people pay for things God's already forgiven. You make yourself pay for things God's already forgiven. Paul says, if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Now this is, what, this is important because this phrase in Christ is gonna come up throughout Romans chapter eight and it is actually the way that Paul describes being a follower of Jesus throughout the New Testament. It's the number one way that Paul uses the description of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And in Christ means this, it means, it means so many different things. It means that you have been forgiven and given grace. That's what being in Christ means. You have been forgiven and given grace. You are no longer condemned. When God the Father looks at you, what he sees is not anything that you have done, but he sees what Jesus has done in your place. That's what God the Father sees. You are no longer a slave to sin. You have been set free. We're gonna see next week this whole idea of how can I get past this? How can I stop doing this? So few of us actually experience all the freedom that God has for us. But Paul says you have all the freedom that that you need in Christ. In Christ means you have been chosen and pursued by God. Okay, being in Christ means that you're not out looking for God, that you're not out trying to prove yourself to God, that you're not out trying to show, God, I just need you to know, like, I got straight A's in life, like, I am worth loving. No, in Christ means there is nothing that you can do to get more love from God than you have already gotten. God is not withholding love from you. In Christ means that nothing can separate you from the love of God. We'll see this at the end of Romans 8, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing that you can do, nothing that you will do can separate you from the love of God if you're in Christ. And lastly, in Christ means you have been made new, you have been changed. The old is gone. When we celebrate baptism today, we're gonna remind ourselves as we watch People go down and come up that the old is gone and the new has come. And he tells us this is how, look at verse two, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. See, verse one says, you have been set free from the condemnation of sin and Paul says you have been delivered from the power of sin. Okay, it's not just that you've been set free from your sins, but you have been delivered from the power of your sin, which means that as a follower of Jesus, you have been given the power of the Holy Spirit to conquer all of the sin in front of you. All of the sin in front of you. And this happens, as we're gonna see later in Romans 8, this happens through the resurrection of Jesus. Romans 8 is not true if Jesus simply died on a cross and stayed in the grave. If Jesus died on the cross and stayed in the grave, then the answer is, there's no hope. But because Jesus walked out of the grave and walked out of the tomb, there is hope because the resurrection's real. That's what changed Paul. Paul 
on the road to Damascus, encounters the resurrected Jesus. That's what changes him. I remember years ago, I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with somebody where afterwards you look back and you, and you see how that conversation completely changed your life. But a few years ago, I was, I was at a conference and I was having lunch with a Christian counselor. And, and I don't know if you've ever talked to a counselor, but they always, they love asking you questions and they love, you know, tell me more and, you know, like trying to get your story out of you. And so I'm talking to this counselor and he's in his 70s, this really kind of old, wise, you know, just had these really just soft, caring eyes. His name's Jim. I still talk to Jim. And one of the things that we were talking, and he said, hey, you know, I'm just curious, Josh. He said, you're a pastor. He said, you're, you know, seem like you're doing a lot and, you know, a lot of great things. And he said, do you believe that God loves you? Now, no one had ever asked me that question before. No one had ever asked me, like, do you believe, like, you've preached sermons about God's love, Josh. Like, do you believe that? And I, and I thought for a moment, I said, well, well, yeah, I believe that God loves me. I was like, there, there's verses all over the Bible, Jim. Like, you, you should know this. You're a Christian counselor. And he goes, no, I, I, I know. He's like, and he said, and I'm sure you've preached them too. He's like, I'm sure you've preached great sermons on God's love. And he's like, you know, but do you believe that God loves you? I said, well, yeah, I believe that God loves me. He said, okay, let me, let me ask you like this. He said, do you believe that God likes you? Like, do you believe that God enjoys you? And I thought for a moment, and, and I, I said, well, no, I, I don't think God enjoys me. I said, honestly, Jim, I said, if, if I'm being perfectly honest about it, I said, most of the time I feel like God just kind of tolerates me and kind of puts up with me. I think about it for a moment. If you were sitting there, how would you answer that? Because some of us would sit here and say, you know, like, I, I, don't, I don't know that. God loves me. Maybe for you, you struggle to believe that you're actually lovable or worth loving. And for you, that's your struggle. You wonder, does God, does God love me? Does, does God want to be near me? And for others, like that's not hard for us to believe, but it is hard for us to believe that God enjoys us. And Jim looked at me and he said, Josh, he said, you know, he said, I don't know if you realize this, but he said, there's verses all over the Bible about God's love. He said there's also verses all over the Bible about God's care, about how God sings over you, how God wraps his wings around you. He said there's verses about how God, as the Father, runs out to meet you, how God runs out and picks you up like a parent who picks up a child who has a scrape or is just stuck in the gutters of life. He says, Josh, the same God that you think and believe loves you also enjoys being with you. See, and for some of us, what Romans 8 tells us is that God's love is God for us. God's enjoyment is God for us. Like, I don't know if you've ever had that moment, but I walked away from that conversation, and as I look back on it, that was a moment that changed how I saw God. Because instead of seeing, for me, God was just kind of this person, this, something I talked about. 
something I debated about. That moment began this journey of going, but I want to experience that. And what Romans 8 tells us is that in Christ, God is for you. And some of you right now are facing something that you need to be told God is for you. God is for you. Not only does God love you, but God enjoys you. And as we close, here's one of the things I want to encourage us to do as we close and take communion. Because maybe today, as a follower of Jesus, what you need to confess and just take a moment before we take the bread and the juice is to say, God, I, I struggle to believe that you're for me. I struggle to believe that you're in my corner. For years, I struggled to believe that God wanted me to enjoy anything that he gave me. But Romans 8 says, God is for you. Who can be against you? So here's how I want us to, to close. Every week we take communion together. And communion is a chance for us as followers of Jesus to just remind ourselves of God's grace, of the hope of the resurrection, that when Jesus gathered his disciples the night before he was crucified, he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood spilled out for you. And we remember it, but we also today remind ourselves through communion, but then baptism that we identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus in baptism. And that's what we do every week with communion. Communion is identifying and reminding ourselves of the grace that God has for us. So here's what I wanna invite you to do. Scripture tells us that before we take communion, to take a moment, to just examine our hearts. And there's a lot of things that maybe you need to bring before God that maybe you walked in with. But one thing I would like to ask you to do is do you believe that God's for you? And if not, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you say, man, like I've never, I don't believe that God's for me. This is like, I've never even heard that idea. Then maybe for you, your next step is taking the step of saying, God, I wanna be in Christ. I wanna stop doing it on my own. I wanna experience your grace, your forgiveness of being known, of being loved by you and chosen by you. And for you, that next step is saying, God, this is what, this is the life I want. I want to be in you. I want to be in Christ and know what that is like. And that's as simple as just confessing your sins of just bringing those before God and just saying, God, I am broken and need a savior. But maybe for you, you need to just take a moment and just say, God, I am facing something right now and I don't know that I actually have believed that you are for me and are bigger than this. Because sometimes the things we need to confess are not our actions, but our inactions or the beliefs that we're just not living in. And so let's just take a moment right where you're at, and then I'll lead us through taking communion. So just take a moment right before God. Just say, God, this is where I am.
God, I thank you that you are for us. I thank you that you not only love us, but you enjoy us, you run out to meet us, you sing over us. You are the parent that holds us and carries us when we need to be carried. Through the power of your spirit, you guide us, you direct us. And I thank you that on this Resurrection Sunday, we can live in the hope that because God is for us, nothing, no one can be against us. And so I pray over these weeks as we look at Romans 8 that you would remind us that in Christ you are for us, that in Christ we can be set free, that in Christ we can be made new. And so in this moment as we take communion together, we remind ourselves that through the death and resurrection of Jesus we are new. In your name.